Hello, and welcome to the Canopy Boulder podcast, where we talk about the intersection of entrepreneurship and investing in the legal cannabis industry. Each week, we'll give you our perspectives on the latest news in the industry, bringing you insightful interviews with entrepreneurs, investors, and the industry pros, and also go deeper on topics like launching a business, building a team, valuation, and pitching investors. Why would we take on such of a challenge? Well, we've helped launch 80 companies into the cannabis industry here at Canopy Boulder and made over 100 individual investments into these companies. So you might say we have the inside line on things. So join us as we take you deeper into legal cannabis and uncover all the nuances of starting up and investing in the cannabis industry. Hello, and welcome to the Canopy Boulder Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we are going to do part two of our three-part series, um, recapping the Jumpstart Conference. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back an episode um, and check that out. Our Jumpstart Conference is a conference we hold every year with industry people, and we sort of talk about what's going on in the industry and some of the kind of opportunities for entrepreneurs. So um, last week, we talked to a bunch of different operators in the space, This week, what I'm about to play for you is our entrepreneur panel. So these are all Canopy Boulder alumni. They are all founders of startups somewhat recently in the last few years uh, in the space. So they're going to talk a little bit about kind of best practices for being an entrepreneur in general, um, what the space is like, maybe what some of the opportunities are, um, where some of the hurdles are. Our panelists for today, for this section today, are Liz Stahura, so she's the president and founder of co-founder of BDS Analytics, Henry Finkelstein, who is the CEO and founder of Cannabis Big Data, and finally we have Jeremy Bamford, who is uh, the founder of Pot Guide. So they're going to give us their thoughts on being a entrepreneur in the space. A little warning: this episode is a little bit longer than usual, um, and the audio uh, just kind of bear with us. It was recorded audio from the event, so it's not fantastic, but um, we hope you enjoy it and that it is valuable. So we're gonna keep this interactive. The goal of the panel is to answer your questions about being an entrepreneur and the cannabis industry. So. Uh, Put that into your head, start formulating some questions. I have some to kick things off, but we're gonna start from the far right of the quick intros. Henry, can you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and why you're here? Uh, my name's Henry, I'm CEO of Cannabis Big Data. I'm a total data nerd through and through. Uh, I've been working in data for the last decade, and when I moved to Colorado, I saw an awesome opportunity to fill some pretty big gaps in the data environment in the cannabis industry. So. Connected with Canopy in spring of 2017, and been off to the races since then. Thank you, Mr. Jeremy. Yeah, you know, I came out here in the 90s to kind of see Boulder, so I kind of grew up in Boulder with all the cannabis culture going on. Um, in 2013, you know, it's, it's kind of a strange year because Amendment 64 had passed, but rec sales had not started yet. And you know, being at ground zero for legalization, I knew I wanted to be a part of this industry. But you know, I really had to figure out how I could get involved, and you know, I didn't have a lot of working capital. Um, but I had skills in software and web development and the knowledge of the cannabis industry. So I kind of put two and two together, and you know, set out to uh, create a resource for people visiting Colorado 
this here provides some insider perspective on what the scene was like out here. And you know, I saw the opportunity, um, but I also had, you know, it's also kind of self-serving because I, I really wanted to educate people who are visiting so they didn't come here and like screw it up and you know, then it uh, gets banned again. So that was kind of how it all got started for me. Hi guys, I'm Liz Sura, president and co-founder of EDS Analytics. And my uh, genesis into cannabis story uh, really was the uh, perfect recipe of right place, right time, and right people. Uh, so in 2015, I was looking for the next step in my career. I spent my entire career focused on market research, consumer insights, retail sales tracking, putting the outdoor products industry. So clearly, Fuller is a great spot for that. Um, and I was introduced, actually, via Patrick, uh, to my partner and, and co-founder, Roy Bingham, uh, who really had the vision for BDS Analytics, who wanted to bring the work that I had spent my entire career doing and into the cannabis industry. So we created BDS Analytics to serve uh, the business needs and strategy needs and, and the consumer insights needs for the industry. Right. So, uh, first question. Um, you are all sometime in your entrepreneurial journey. Um, what advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry? One piece of advice. So I have a microphone, so I guess that means I get to go first. Ladies first. Uh, I would say the one, I'm actually gonna cheat and give two pieces of advice. Sorry, my friend. Uh, the first piece of advice I would say is do your research. Research, research, research. Learn everything there is to know about the business proposition that you have, uh, who else is out there doing it. At this point in time in the industry, uh, you know, I hate to break it to you, but chances are you're not going to be the first person uh, with the idea that you have. So you need to be the, the better mousetrap. Uh, so really understand the market through and through. Uh, and then at a certain point, uh, you do just have to take that leap. It's kind of like having kids, right? You're never really going to be ready, uh, so you, you just got to jump in. I took a couple notes just because I tend to forget stuff that I wanted to mention. But you know, one of my things is um, you know, set reasonable assumptions with your business models. I've seen this time and time again. Um, you know, entrepreneurs come out as a business plan, other assumptions are very optimistic. Um, it's good to be pessimistic sometimes, especially you know, with assumptions for your model. So that's that's one point I'd really emphasize. Um, another one would be monetize sooner than later, right? Like every dollar you earn is one less that you have to borrow. Um, so, you know, it's obviously it depends on, you know, your business and whatnot, but I think it's really important to try and monetize as quickly as possible. Um, a few other things, you know, set reasonable assumptions, or sorry, uh, set ambitious but achievable goals. Um, you know, shoot for the moon, but you don't want to set yourself up for failure. So. You know, just some words of wisdom there. And uh, don't put too much mental stock into the, into the wins and the losses. Um, they go crazy. I mean, it's definitely like a roller coaster ride. And, you know, every day, you know, some great news will come along and the next day bad news. So, for your own mental well being, I would say, you know, just, just try and stay as even healed as possible. Yeah, I think um, from my perspective, you're going to work hard. If you're gonna succeed in this industry, really in any industry as an entrepreneur, but especially in this one, it's gonna mean a lot of long nights. It's gonna mean uh, working yourself to the bone. Uh, it's gonna mean going through teammates and finding the people that fit. And if you're not super crazy, absurdly passionate about what you're trying to accomplish, it will crush you, period. 
So find the thing that really has meaning and value in your world that you would be doing even if you're not making a penny, because you won't for a while. So own it and do the stuff that you care about. So the, one of the things, I'll, it was interesting to hear Liz uh, talk about doing your research. Um, one of the things that really impressed me when I initially talked to Henry, um, and I still remember that, I think I was driving up to the mountains going to skiing around this time of the year, it was that he did a three-month listening tour, I think it was three months or so, going around and just meeting people in the cannabis industry, going to their offices and listening to what they were frustrated with, what they were challenged by. Sort of a little bit of what I was trying to do here with the operators panel, with Nancy, Ryan, and Graham, is to extract out where are their pain points, right? And then deciding where you can provide uh, relief to that pain. Um, you know, Jeremy's point of choosing sales when the opportunity presents itself to you is spot on. Right now we have, I think in our current cohort, eight of the 10 companies are generating revenue. I can tell you that in this industry, um, with its challenges of raising capital, if you can show an investor that you can generate a dollar, then generate two, and then four, then eight, then 16, uh, you have an incredibly strong, much stronger opportunity to raise capital. Um, and I think the other thing, at great point steady she goes, when we talk about highs and the lows of life and entrepreneurship, I don't think they ever go away. And um, you know, for those of us who are entrepreneurs, when they're not there, you start craving them. But I think a very good entrepreneur knows how to manage the highs and manage the lows. And to the point about building a team from earlier, they surround themselves with teammates who help them manage those highs. They, they say, hey, hey you know, don't get too excited. Like, let's keep our eye on the prize. When the highs are there and then when the lows, they help pick you up. So, um, you know, having a team there is definitely key. What questions do we have from the audience? Are there any audience questions I can just ask? Hey, so um, there's a lot of uh, startups or established businesses that are going the route of finding funding and actually get uh, going public. I'm curious how you feel about that. You know, we, someone mentioned the Green Rush earlier. Whether that's in the plan for your business, you don't have to answer that now uh, if you want to. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that whole green rush and a lot of cannabis businesses going for public trading. I'm a data guy by trade, and so when I look at the numbers, the vast majority of cannabis stocks today are so absurdly overvalued compared to quite literally any other comparable in any other industry that to call it a bubble would be an understatement. And so, um, you know, we've been approached about going public from a variety of investors and otherwise, and the amount of time and energy that it requires to manage public disclosures and deal with it relative to the short hit that then you're sort of chasing the dragon after that. As far as I'm concerned, it, unless you've got boatloads of dollars and people to back up all of the regulatory requirements of going public, good luck. Yeah, and going public, I mean, it really does change your business model, right? Like, you know, long-term vision is replaced by, you know, quarterly earnings per share targets that you have to hit. So it really does change the dynamic of a lot of companies when they go public. Um, you know, I, I understand why, you know, a lot of businesses are. And 
mean, obviously you gotta, you know, you gotta make an exit at some point, and that's a great way to do it. But um, you know, I think it, you know, there's all obviously other concerns like if you have a bunch of equity, you can't just sell it right away. So you know, there's a lot of companies right now with founders who are sitting on a fortune of paper that might be worthless in like a year when they can sell it or two years. So you know, it's, it's definitely an option, but you know, personally, I think if you talk to any CEOs, um, most of them will say they were much happier when the company was private. Yeah, I would, I would echo more of the same. Uh, I think that it's an interesting opportunity, uh, certainly proceed with caution. And I think that there are, just like in every industry, there are really great players out there and there are some that you should be aware of. Uh, so certainly do your research well and try to find Nancy's blood test for testing integrity <laughs> and, um, and competency before you get into bed with anybody. Good evening. Um, I've been lucky enough to watch all of these entrepreneurs in various stages of their business, um, and I'm also obsessed with data. So my question is more for Liz and BDS. Um, with the rollout of other data products and the market monitoring that you provide also through NCI membership, plug for NCIA too, um, one of the things that I wanted to see in one of the roles uh, developing a business was more access to testing data from states that have both mandatory and voluntary testing. Um, I was wondering if BES has any plans to get into that or if that's too messy and too in the weeds. Um, but I know that you know as, as the demographic ages, more visibility on what, what players are actually playing in a compliant manner versus who's applying pesticides and failing and you know, uh, creating a bad testing environment and sponsoring bad labs, I think that that's, that's one of those transparency pieces that will be increasingly important as the buying demographics become more educated like Colorado. So is that hopefully you know, on the map and what are the biggest challenges for that? Yeah, absolutely, great question, I don't think. Uh, so, one of my favorite things about watching the industry evolve is the entry of so many different types of data-oriented companies. Um, I think it's, it's easy to think that all data is the same data and that every data company is going to provide a solution to every data need. I'm sure I see you nodding your head. Um, each of our companies have their own areas of expertise and what we do well. Our lane is really in understanding the economics of the, of the industry, so the consumer data, we understand what the consumer's buying, when they're buying, why they're buying, who they are, and that all important, why they buy. Uh, the testing data is something that I see an absolute opportunity for. Uh, whether it's necessarily in our path, uh, I think is, is an interesting question, it's probably a little bit outside our lane. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we don't talk to and partner with and, and do the best that we can to help those companies along uh, to provide that insight into the, into the industry because I agree it is very important. So one of the questions I have, as an entrepreneur, you are constantly having to make decisions. Uh, what have you gotten right about uh, the industry and your business and what do you feel like you've gotten wrong and how did you deal with that? Um, decision fatigue is real. It's super real for any of you that make a thousand plus micro decisions a day. Um, the exhaustion at the end of the day around what color or size
or pixel depth range of the blah 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 blah. It's very real. And so, um, two two part answer to that question, Patrick. Part one is know what decisions matter. Understand and appreciate where the decisions have real weight and where you need to focus your attention. And and, and don't stress the small stuff. Truly, uh, for us, that's a function of our core values. We have a very specific list of six core values, and quite literally every single decision, every single decision, including pixel counts, is bumped up against our core values to appreciate, is this important? If yes, how important and why? If not, okay, do it and move on. Um, and then the second part around what decisions do we get right and which ones do we get wrong? Um, one decision we got right was being very focused on the lean methodology. Uh, Patrick mentioned our talking tour for the first three months of this business. Um, we are a lean shop through and through. For any of you who have read uh, Eric Reese or Steve Blank um, or Ash Maruya, uh, these are seminal thought leaders in the lean methodology. Learn it, love it, do it. It will make your business better, stronger, faster. Um, and some of the decisions that we got wrong, you know, I came from enterprise analytics outside of the cannabis industry, and I really thought it would be a copy-paste into the cannabis industry, and I was very used to six-figure-plus engagement contracts where you come in and do a big thing for uh, a client that knows exactly what they want, and cannabis couldn't have been any different. And so it took a solid six to nine months to rejigger quite literally everything, our software, our technology, our language, our branding, our market, literally everything, to actually be relevant for the cannabis industry instead of having this presumptive nature that we know what's best and shutting up and listening. I mean, this industry is so dynamic and volatile that I mean, you're going to make mistakes. I and mean, I've made plenty of them. Um, you know, it's just, it's really hard to kind of predict. I mean, for, for example, Predicting the development of certain markets and how mature they're going to get. Um, you know, Pocket is a, essentially an advertising platform for a lot of cannabis businesses. So, you know, you look at certain markets. Um, for example, Nevada is a great one, uh, Vegas. Um, you know, when they first rolled out Rack, a lot of those dispensaries, you know, their problem wasn't customer acquisition; it was inventory. So, it's really these markets have to hit a certain maturity level before the businesses really see the value and spending a lot of marketing dollars, you know, which benefits us. You know, Massachusetts is another example. You know, early on, um, you know, we you know, we had some clients out there, but it just wasn't that competitive. I think mean, there was like five or six dispensaries in the entire state, but now we're seeing that turn around, right? We're seeing more and more businesses come in, it's getting more competitive, and the need for advertising is there. So, um, you know, predicting markets is one thing that we've kind of gotten wrong sometimes. Uh, what we got right though is also timing, right? The initial launch of Hawkeye in 2013 was essential to our success. Um, essentially, we started ranking decently in the search engines, but then a lot of uh, we got a lot of press and a lot of valuable backlinks from huge use by media organizations, and that started ranking us a lot higher in Google, which led to more, you know. Um, more journalists finding us and using us as a resource and getting more backlinks, and it kind of snowballed um, on and on. And that's really how we gained our SEO traction. And you know, search engines account for about 90% of the traffic to our site. Um, we're roughly two million visitors a month right now. And so, you know, timing timing is really important, especially for for what we're doing. So I like going last because I get to agree with everything that you two have already said. Um, but I actually. Take a little bit of issue with right and wrong. Um, as far 
we're making decisions, um, as you said, on a daily basis. Some feel big, some feel small. Some that feel small turn out to be very large. Some that feel um, earth-shatteringly large turn out to not really matter that much at all. Um, so I think one of the biggest mistakes that you can make is getting too hung up on any one decision. Um, when I look back over the last four years, um, some of the decisions that we made that I think made our lives a little bit more difficult than they maybe had to be, especially in the short term, uh, tended to be personnel related. Uh, choose your team carefully, uh, trust your team, and learn when to uh, when to release some of team members when they're, when they're not right for the team. I think every founder has a story about uh, a team member that in their gut they knew wasn't the right person for the job, but for whatever reason, uh, you know, that's not an easy, easy decision to come by. So uh, that's, that's probably the one that I've been working on is to, to make those decisions quicker when you know that you've got the right team versus uh, folks that are outliers. Five question up front. So there's parts of your job that are fun, got into to start the business, and then when you get in, especially in the fast-changing regulatory uh, environment in which you find yourselves, um, presumably none of you got into it to say, man, I really love tracking regulatory changes. Um, how do you how do you balance the, the fun parts with things like um, tracking and keeping up with regulatory changes and, and things of that nature? And, and how do you do it? Do you, do you outsource those things, or do you just do you do it yourself? Do you bring it in-house? What do you do? Uh, well, you know, there's that cliche, and it's a cliche for a reason. When you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. Uh, I don't think that's quite true. You, you work, and you work hard. And there are certainly days, like you said, that are, that are fun, and some days that are less fun. Uh, but when it comes to staying on top of regulatory issues, legislative updates, changes, uh, it's a little unfair for me to answer that question, because that's what we do as a business. So we have a division within the industry that, or within our business that focuses on that. Luckily, I don't have to personally do it. Uh, but, but we do uh, we do a lot of it the old-fashioned way. There are also a lot of great resources out there. Canaregs is one. Uh, CanAdvisors is another. There's many, many out there that can provide those services uh, to help you so that you don't have to be an expert in absolutely every aspect of the industry. Because uh, it is far and wide in detail. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with what said in here. Um, you know, it, we're fortunate in terms of regulations that since we're like a you know, media site, ancillary, you know, we don't have a whole lot of regulations we gotta deal with. I mean, essentially it focuses on our audience and, you know, age demographics. Um, but, you know, when I first started, when I first created the site, um, you know, I, I didn't get into this for the money. I, again, I really just wanted to create a useful resource that you know people would use on a daily basis and hopefully find some value in. And um, you know, with the initial version of the site, I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to achieve that or not. Um, but then you know, it kind of just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and you know, as the company's grown, obviously there's less and less. There's more and more areas that I need to work on that aren't fun necessarily in the beginning when it was all new. And you know, I remember when the site was was up and running. I mean, I used to read every single piece of information I could find about this industry, and just kind of scour, scour all these different media publications to figure out you know, what different businesses were opening and things like that. Um, so, but you know, nowadays, you know, I just try and balance it out, right? Not every part of your job is going to be fun. 
But, I mean, we are working in Canada, so sometimes you gotta take a step back when things get too stressful, be like, okay, it's weak, right? I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, I would just say, you know, I just focus on trying to keep some balance between the fun parts of the, of the company and the more kind of stressful areas. I think balance is a good theme in general for any time you're trying to uh, navigate the great and not so great in one's life, in every dimension, professional included. Certainly doing what you love helps uh, because then the, the gritty stuff doesn't feel as gritty because you see the bigger picture. Um, for me, that looks like self-care, meditation, running in the woods, hanging out with my dogs and my lady. Um, everyone's got their own thing, whatever it is, to, to fuel your batteries. One of my favorite questions to ask is why you got into the cannabis industry, because everyone's got a different story. Sometimes it's a medical mission, sometimes it's a social justice mission. Of course, everybody sees the greenbacks and wants to make money. Um, that's part and parcel of it. For me, personally, the reason I got into the cannabis industry was because I saw an opportunity to build a business and an industry that we could be proud of. This is the first time an industry has grown up in the era of transparency, the age of social media where everyone knows everything about everyone. And in that type of landscape, it's all about how integrous, how ethical, how uh, conscientious you are. And so I view the cannabis industry as an opportunity to showcase the true capacity and power of conscious capitalism in the ways that we define with our core values. And when I see that shining star in, in the sky, navigating the bumps along the way feels much more manageable because when we look back 10, 20, 30 years from now, we're going to be damn proud of what we did in this industry. Henry brings up a good point of taking care of yourself. We say uh, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. So Jeremy and Liz, how do you, as entrepreneurs, how do you take care of yourself and make sure you have what it takes to do what you do? I'm working on that. That's an ongoing battle. Uh, no, I think that, that Henry's got it just right. You've got to figure out what recharges your batteries. Uh, for me, a lot of my recharge comes from my team. Um, I get a lot of inspiration and a lot of motivation out of seeing them uh, get excited and seeing them thrive. So when I'm feeling especially burnt out, uh, I tend to take a step back and and just go walk around. And uh, an old mentor of mine used to always say, eat from your feet, not from your seat. So always making sure that I'm checking in, having personal one-on-one -on -one interactions and conversations with all the many, many people that make up um, our success. And then as far as from free time, um, you know, the exercise is a drug. Uh, so get out, I like to get out and get on the slopes, go skiing, uh, running if I can. And then uh, I'm also a pretty big movement. So you'll find me at a Boulder Theater or Red Rocks or elsewhere uh, on the weekends recharging. Right, and I mean, the balance is always hard to achieve. So, um, you know, you can expect to give up a lot of your evenings and weekends. And I think when I first started this business, you know, I had a full time job. And so this is completely done on the side. So I think I had a season pass, I got like two days in skiing one year. It was pretty pathetic. But, um, you know, as long as you have fun with it, I mean, that's that's the main thing. But again, I mean, you do, it is a challenge. I have a challenge getting that balance down. And, you know, I definitely work too much. I'm sure my, my blood pressure is way too high. Um, 
But with that said, I mean, it gets easier as the company matures, right? Everyone kind of gets their own little processes and roles figured out. And, and it's really rewarding when, when things turn into like kind of a smooth running operation. And obviously, we're not a smooth running operation every day. But it's, again, I mean, it's really rewarding when, um, you know, all the hard work really pays off. And, and you kind of I take, a, take a step back and look at what you really have achieved. Because, you know, sometimes there are, a lot of times people say to me, like, oh, congratulations on the success. And, you know, I think, you know, I, I appreciate that, but I still think success is, is on the horizon. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, you just got to kind of stay focused and enjoy what you're doing and, um, you know, again, find that balance and hopefully live a happy, healthy life as an entrepreneur in the cannabis industry. Um, I think uh, uh, Patrick's question is a little bit targeted because at least in our cohort, I, I can tell you for a fact that I was the only one that's left at the office twice. Um, I regularly pull all-nighters. Self-care is a huge deal in my world, especially because I work so damn hard. And on a very basic level, you have to, have to take care of yourself. And, and if you don't, everyone around you will suffer. Every relation will suffer, including your professional ones, but not limited to those. And so for those entrepreneurs uh, here that are really thinking about how they can make their team succeed, I, I'm not a, a huge fan of telling you to sleep more, because that's not really my mode, uh, but understanding what you do other than sleep to bring yourself back to parity. Um, for me, that's meditation and exercise. It's different for every person, but knowing what that is for you is so huge. Because if you don't know, I guarantee you, you and your relations are suffering. So, any if you do any bit of research on this, you'll find that there's been a lot of work on, you know, research done on the work-life balance, and uh, all the results are pretty similar when they survey high-functioning CEOs as to how they manage it, um, if they're managing it, which sometimes they aren't. And what we find in the research is they do three things. Um, they get up and they exercise. So in the morning, they take care of themselves first, right? So they put themselves first in that one moment in the morning. They work, they work hard, and they're focused because they've already taken care of themselves, or at least they've done something for themselves. And at the end of the day, they shut off and they read a book. So uh, pretty simple prescription. Any questions in the audience? Anybody have any burning questions? Okay, I'll ask another one. Um, how do you guys stay on top of what's going on in the industry besides reading Pod Guide every day and every BDS analytics report that comes out? How do you how do you stay abreast? I mean, it's a fast moving industry. I power read. Um, back in ninth grade, I realized that I'm an absurdly slow reader. Um, my retention is high, but I read really slowly, and I taught myself how to speed read, not for joy, but for functionality. And on a very basic level, I've got probably like 30 or 40 newsletters that I subscribe to, and I skim through pretty much all of them, um, not in any real depth. I pick, cherry pick the, the articles and the, the publications that are most relevant to my worldview, um, but I do keep abreast by skimming and, and power reading the vast majority of everything that comes my yeah, in the early days, I mean, it wasn't that hard to stay on top of everything. Like, it was Colorado and Washington, basically. But, you know, obviously, as industry's grown, it's gotten a lot harder to like, stay in touch with all the different 
areas of this industry. So, yeah, again, I mean, you know, Pod Guy does provide a high-level overview, so just working there, I kind of stay in touch with a lot of different areas of the industry. Um, but then, yeah, I, it, um, I would focus on newsletters, any type of aggregate news sources, and then also find those niche publications that really focus on areas of the industry that interest you. And um, but I mean, at this stage, I think if you're trying to learn everything about all areas of this industry, it's going to be a challenge. So just kind of focus on a high-level understanding, and then just get into details on areas that really make sense in what you're looking to do and how you're looking to get involved. Yeah, I mean, I think reading everything you can get your hands on is a no-brainer. Uh, there's a wealth of amazing insights and articles and resources out there, including PDS Analytics and PodGuide. Canvas big data. Uh, but I actually agree with Henry's take on from earlier, which is nothing can substitute being on the ground. You've got to get into the market. I learned more from four days in the market talking to people face to face than I could learn from weeks of reading as many articles as I can. Uh, so anytime we're moving into a new market, that's absolutely my top priority. Is I need to get in uh, and meet the people face to face and have the conversations. Uh, and really understand what's happening on the ground. And on a very basic level, the things that people will tell you in private conversation are not the things you will read in the news. Absolutely. Any questions? We're going to go questions. Great. Um, hi, thanks for presenting. Um, I know that I kind of already asked this question, but when it comes to research, you guys are really kind of doing a lot of the research that's in this industry. But I want to know, what are you guys still curious about in the next couple of years? What research are you guys most um, anticipating to see come out? I'll focus on the personal level. I am a total nerd on neurochemistry and brain science. And I think the interaction of how the all the microcannabinoids and all the other molecules that are in the cannabis plant engage and interact with all the systems in our body, but especially the various brain receptors, is so poorly understood and will fundamentally change the way we engage with this plant. I am super excited for real scientists to get their hands on some relevant product, not stuffed out of some Kentucky basement, and actually make some real head headwind and, and change in how we understand the systematic impact of all of the entourage effects of the campus plan. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, a lot more research needs to be done on cannabinoids and how they affect you know, individuals. Um, you know, I mean, there are some di different software tools out there and sites that kind of try to let you know, you know, answer some questions, let you know what product best fits your needs. And that's great. I just don't think the data is there yet. Um, I found that a lot of misinformation just propagates throughout the internet from like one source, right? So, you know, a certain strain, they'll say like, oh, this will make you energetic or whatever. Um, but I mean, it just varies from person to person. So I'm excited to see more research done on that so they can really nail it down. And then following that research, really come out with some innovative products that, um, like Nancy was saying earlier on, that can kind of predict what type of effect and mood you're having. But, you know, I think there's there's great progress that's being made in that area, but it's just not quite there yet. So I'm excited to see it develop. So, so those of you who are interested in that, um, stick around for the demo day, which will start in 20 minutes to hear uh, the Green Genomics presentation. Sorry, this.
That was awesome. I, I would actually just uh, echo what both, both of these two have already said. Uh, I think that the, the science and really understanding how this plant will interact with us as individuals, um, what the capabilities are, and I think we're just scratching the surface there. Um, and then, of course, from uh, professional interest and how that's going to translate into new and innovative products and product deliveries, deliveries and formulations and uh, more rapid uptake. And uh, I think that there's going to be an absolute explosion of new ways to consume and interact with this plant uh, over the next couple of years, which is really exciting to think about. Thanks. Uh, Travis Lenz. I, Jeremy, kind of for you specifically, because this is where I kind of feel I'm at. I came to one of these events that cultivated last year, got the old juices flowing, uh, started this thing, and I'm kind of right there where I feel like it's hard for me to let go of that one rope to grab the next. So what did that transition look like for you? So you had a day job? Yeah, no, I was in a lucky situation where at the time I was a, a software developer. I worked from home, and um, my workload is actually quite low, so I was actually able to kind of work on the site on the side um, during business hours. But <laughs> anyways, it, it is a challenge, right? Because I mean, early on, you're not going to be making any money, and so unless you initially raise raise funds just based off an idea, which is almost impossible to do. I mean. So I would just say, you know, just focus on uh, getting a, your, your MVP, your minimal viable product, up and running. You know, in previous startups I've, I've been involved in, that was one of my biggest errors, is trying to get everything perfect before I wanted to put it out there for the public. And that that is not a good idea. I mean, it's best just to put your thing out there, even if it's not perfect. I know, like, I'm kind of a perfectionist, so it was difficult for me to do that. but. Now I realize it's important just to kind of get things out there. I mean, you don't want to be garbage. You want to have something, you know, useful. But, you know, don't sweat all, like, the little details too much. Just get a proof of concept and just kind of build upon that. Um, I quit my job with that in 2014, and that's, was the timing was great, because I was actually just browsing the Daily Camera for some reason. I live down in Denver, but interested in what takes place in Boulder still, and then saw an article about a brand new program called Canopy Starting. So the timing was, was perfect, and at that point, um, I connected with Samantha, so we kind of went to the program together, and um, yeah, a lot of it's just kind of like the stars aligning, but I mean, it is, at some point, you, I mean, you have to take a risk, right? And you know, I used to make a lot more money than I do now, right? But obviously, I really enjoy what I'm doing now. I see the, the potential. Um, so yeah, it's scary, you know, at some point, you just gotta go for it, and um, you know, I'd say it's, it's worth the risk in most cases. I would offer too that if you want to soften the landing, get good at sales. If you can't sell your product, it doesn't matter how fantastic it is, it'll never be viable in the marketplace. And if you can sell your product, regardless of whatever else you've got going on the side, you've got a very reasonable business that you can grow into. So focusing on sales first and foremost, almost ahead of product, I can tell you, for us, our three-month talking tour culminated in two contracts before we ever wrote a single line of code. Because at the end of the day, if I can't sell the damn thing, good luck. All right. Uh, same question I posed the operators panel. Predictions for 2019. What's in the near future? I think um, I spent a lot of time thinking about this uh, because so often when the predictions questions come up, it's always about regulatory changes or 
what the next Trump appointee is going to say about whatever. Um, my prediction for 2019 is actually around operators, uh, cannabis licensed cannabis businesses. And we're seeing a wave of mergers and acquisitions. We're seeing deeper-pocketed players come in and gobble up individual sites. We're seeing multi-state operators. There's just an article about this in the MJBiz Daily about multi-state operators uh, gaining traction and really uh, gobbling up licenses. And I think from an operator perspective, the depth and, and degree of sophistication around their systems, around their tools, around their processes, around the ways in which they uh, integrate and think about their business is going to skyrocket. And this concept of the mom and pop shop is just not tenable in the new landscape of 2019. So, so my prediction is a rapid growth in the uh, an acceleration in the sophistication of licensed businesses across the U.S. in every market. Yeah, I, mean, I agree with that. I just hope there's still room for both boutique dispensaries moving forward and operators and everybody else. Cheap and probably not sophisticated. Right. Well, okay. Um, you know, my I, what I would hope happens in 2019 is you know we address some of these um, banking as well as tax issues. 280. I don't know if you're familiar, but it kind of prevents a lot of dispensaries and grows from being able to deduct, deduct any of their expenses. Right. So if they have a million in revenue, let's say you grow, you have a million in revenue, and your expenses were a million. You're going to get taxed on a million dollars, like that was your profit. So um, that would be great because in certain states, like Colorado, for example, you know, a lot of these dispensaries. I mean, their margins are horrible. I mean, they'll be doing like you know, 20 million in revenue, and their net their net income will be like you know, under a million, and even that. So um, essentially, for every hundred dollars that a dispensary spends on marketing, I mean, they're really paying like 140 because they can't deduct any of it. So you know, that would be a big move forward, and I know Gardner's bill addresses that. You know, if, if that does come to fruition, we'll see. Um, but that's what we're really hoping to see in 2019. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree completely regarding the sophistication, and in fact, um, I, would, I would say that's not even a prediction at that point. We're seeing that play out um, in real time. Uh, and I think that the big change in 2019 is going to be on the product level. I think there are going to be new innovations in products that are coming out. There are some um, some very big players who have made it very public that they are spending a lot of time and research and money um, to bring products into the market that will appeal to an even wider range of consumers. Um, and so I think that reflectively we'll also be seeing uh, a greater variety of consumer types and demographics and more people who are willing to, uh, to come out of the closet, so to speak, and admit that they are uh, cannabis consumers and, and stop uh, feeling those and I'll say social use and consumption spaces. I think we're going to see that last mile of the industry, the last part um, that doesn't exist now, come alive. Thank you. Uh, let's give the panelists a round of applause. Well, that's where we're going to leave it. If you are an entrepreneur and you are starting up in this industry in the ancillary uh, products and services or CBD and hemp arena, uh, check us out at canopyboulder.com. We are currently accepting applications for investment and for our spring accelerator cohort, which begins May 6th. So check that out soon. Applications close at the end of March. 
Um, hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next time. Now for the disclaimers. Please do not take any information from the Canopy Boulder podcast or its guests as investment advice. Be sure to contact your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. So thank you for listening and please join us for another Canopy Boulder podcast episode coming to you soon.